All right, so uh, welcome. If you're joining us live, we're glad that you're with us online. I know we usually have quite a few Wednesday night folks join us. I do. I need to apologize right off the bat. Um, we don't have any. We don't have an old PowerPoint or anything. Oh, we do. I see it. All right. So we are in our study of Ephesians. Oh no, that's just a, that's just a stream, isn't it? That's fine. Don't worry about it. And uh, and so we're in we're in Ephesians and uh, chapter four. Uh, I normally have a PowerPoint for you tonight. I'm not going to have that, but I do have an outline for you. So. Uh, if you're here in the house, you can go through that if you're, if you're a note taker, and you can follow along that way, and, uh, and it'll help, uh, help hopefully guide us a little bit as we get through Ephesians chapter 4. So tonight, uh, we're gonna, we've already been in Ephesians chapter 3, we finished that up, now we're going to hit chapter 4. So um, just remember where we are and what we're doing. The purpose of this study is to reveal Christ's efficiency the church's unity and the Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistle to the Ephesians. And we're talking about bodybuilding, building the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ. So that's really what Paul's about in uh, the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians uh, 1 and 2 reveals, how many, I want to know if you guys can answer these questions because I've been going through this over and over again. So I put the blanks on the paper to see how many of you would be tracking with me. Not that you have to, but if you have old notes, you've already got this. This is a rerun uh, because they say the best way to learn is repetition, right? So uh, Ephesians 1 and 2 uh, reveals Christ. Does anybody know or want to take a stab at it? I don't have any T-shirts to throw out. What is it? Deity, that's right. I bet you got the other two as well. Uh, chapters 3 and 4 reveals Christ, the church's Unity, that's right. Did you say unity? I just threw a virtual t-shirt because you got the old one. All right. I don't care if you cheat. doesn't matter to me. It's all part of the process. And then you know the last one then. Anyone got the last one? It reveals Christ, chapters 5 and 6. reveals the Christians. Uh, it is, but the word I used is duty because it rhymes. It's kind of close with unity and deity. They all start end with a, well, they all, even responsibility ends with a Y. So you could use responsibility. Uh, I think I've interposed those two words, but yeah, duty is what I have uh, in my outline. So, or responsibility, that's a good word too. I think I've said responsibility as well. So, so we've uh, kind of lumped three and four together and we're dealing with the unity. And so what we've already seen is in verses one through t 12, uh, Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, uh, ends up addressing the folks as a prisoner of Christ. And he reveals, um, it's a revelation to the body. And in chapter 3, he starts setting forth, um, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace which is given unto me, to you, word. And he's, he's, he's given them revelation to the body, revelation to the body of Christ about the riches that he's already set forth in Christ in the chapters 1 and 2. And so he deals with the deity of Christ and all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so then he, he starts to roll that out in chapter, uh, in chapter 3. So we've already covered that. And then uh, we spent some time in chapter 3, verses 13 through 21, dealing with the intercession uh, for the body of Christ. So Paul goes into quite a bit of length and really good description. And we covered that on just you know, really praying for and asking God and, and instructing really the church on what to pray for in regard to this revelation that we have in Christ um, that, you know, we have all spiritual blessings and that we have this position in Christ and we have this, this dispensation of grace. I showed you guys the mysteries and then he goes, okay, now let's pray 
and let's get into that because all of that is really coming off of the end of chapter 2 when he talks about that we're no longer strangers and foreigners and uh, but we're fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God so he's really just unpacking that as they say nowadays he's uh, he's just bringing all that to light which brings us to chapter 4 and you'll notice in chapter 4 that uh that he is uh, oh responsibility. I didn't I didn't skip. Let me let me skip on. So we're in, in chapter four. We're going to be be in the first uh, you know six verses. Where we're going to look at unity of the body of Christ. And then tonight we're not going to get to this, but in the future weeks we'll get to the diversity of gifts. Um, so he goes from unity and then he turns it right around and talks about diversity of the of the gifts to the body of Christ and then. Ephesians four fourteen through thirty two uh, deals with the responsibility of the members of the body of Christ in putting off the old man and putting on the new man. In uh, verses fourteen through twenty two, he talks about putting off the old. Twenty three through thirty two starts. He talks about putting on the new man, and then he rolls into chapter five. And from chapter five on through chapter six, it really just starts setting forth. Hey, this is what you need to do with all this info that I've downloaded. So we haven't gotten to all that yet. So in chapter 3, we, we saw that understanding your true identity is predicated on humility. So Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's what he said uh, in Ephesians 1 and verse 1. That was his introduction. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he comes in with this epistle and he sets forth the authority. Uh, not that anybody was questioning it, but he says, This is my title, Paul the Apostle of Jesus Christ. But when you get to chapter 3, he, he changes the tone and he descends to Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, in Ephesians 3 and verse 1. So as we enter chapter 4, we see that Paul's still sticking with this title, the prisoner, right? And you look at verse 1, it says, I therefore, uh, and we see therefore, you've got to remember what it's there for, and you go back and you remember what he's talked about in the previous chapter, which is the revelation that was given uh, and the dispensation of the grace of God given to Paul that was given to them, that they were stewards of, and then the intercession that he was given. Because of all that, I therefore, um, the, pri- uh, <coughs> the prisoner of the Lord, I'm going to beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So what he's saying is, hey, you know what, guys? Because, because of all this, um, me being this prisoner, I'm going to start, and I've already prayed, right? He's already set forth in writing his prayer for them. He's like, I'm going to ask you to go beyond praying to do some walking. I need you to rise up and walk. I need you to live out what you've learned and what we're learning about our position and our place in Christ. And so uh, as we enter uh, Ephesians 4, Paul, uh, who is bound in chains for real as a prisoner, uh, is beseeching the body to be bound together in love. And man, there's not a better time in the world for that message to go forth. I just watched a, a dude down here at uh, Liberty Memorial. I guess they had some Trump rally. And so there's a bunch of Trump people out there. And then some dude rolls out there, and he's from somewhere else. And he's a BLM kind of guy, and he's out there. And he's expecting to get arrested because he's going to go get assaulted. It's going to go down, you know. And uh, I, he's sincere. The Trump people are sin- Everyone's sincere, I guess. Uh, it seemed like it. So in the video, he's got his little camera crew. Anybody see this video? Okay, one of us. So And he rolls up on the Liberty Memorial. Now, this is kind of like a national. He flew in out of town to do this, so he's not just like a local a local activist. He's, a, he's, a, he's some guy from around that he flies in and does his little videos wherever the action's at. And so he goes up to Liberty Memorial, and he prefaces his video. He says, I'm about to go get arrested, you know. And so here I go. 
he didn't say pray for me. I'm not sure he's a man of faith. But anyway, so he rolls up into the Liberty Memorial, and he's like waiting. And he's going from truck to truck, a lot of trucks up there. <laughs> he's going from four-wheeler to four-wheeler, truck to truck, you know, flag to flag, tailgate to tailgate. And everybody's like, hey, man, what's up? And they're like, hey, uh, you know, and they're like, and he tells them, hey, you know, and what he's about. And they're like, well, okay, more power to you. You know, this is where I'm at. You can be where you're at. Next thing you know, he's running around hugging guys and high-fiving everybody. And he gets done. He gets, he gets to the end of this rally, and he's like, man, I got to be honest. Uh, I was ready to go to jail today, but there's a lot of love here. I felt really loved. And, uh, and, uh, and so... And to his credit, he grant he, the videos out. He didn't like throw it in the trash, and uh, and I thought, you know what? That's so exactly what people need is the love of Christ, because it's the love of Christ. Because our identity in Christ, Christ, God is love, right? And so our identity in Christ, it just takes care of a lot of other stuff, and that's really what Paul's going to be addressing. Really, he's doing it already in Ephesians. We've already talked about it, but even more so as we get into this part of the chapter. Four, it really deals with some real reality and some practicality in regard to love and unity and how all that works together. And so let's do this. Let's look at the text. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only take on uh, six verses tonight in, in regard to teaching, but I want to read 13 verses, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. So let's look at Ephesians 4. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 13, and we're going to stop, stop there. And on your own, you can read through the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book. It wouldn't take you very long. But for tonight, we're just going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 13. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But every one of us is given, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, that he ascended, what is it? But he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is, sa- is uh, the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And verse 13 is real important. Till... Right? There's a, a time when there's a, there's a spot where he says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us. We thank you for the reality that someday Lord, these bodies are going to be cast off and we're going to all come together in the unity, in the fullness, Lord, of the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the the building that you're doing. This is a building work. Lord, you're building us up in our faith even tonight. I pray, God, that you would teach us all things whatsoever you said to us, that you would open up this passage and and help us understand the unity of the body of Christ even a little more maybe than we had before we walked in here tonight, that we would be encouraged, that we'd be stirred up, that we would be bodybuilders ourselves, Lord, and that we'd make decisions tonight 
that would affect the body of Christ, even now, even tonight, even tomorrow, uh, in the coming days, to make the body of Christ that we're affiliated with stronger than it was uh, before we heard the things that we're going to hear tonight. Lord, thank you for those that are joining us online. Thank you for those that are watching in later. We pray a blessing to the reading, the hearing, uh, the listening, and the watching of your word. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so we only see the word unity mentioned twice in the whole New Testament. I mean, so in the whole New Testament, so you, word, unity is something we use big time in our culture. The word unity is well used, well worn. But in the Bible, you only find it twice. And of the two mentions in the Bible, you just read them. That's why I wanted to read through, down through the first 13. Because uh, you only see the word mentioned twice, and it's mentioned in the first 13 verses uh, of Ephesians. It's first mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, capital S, proper pronoun, right? So that means it's a, it's a person, right? When you see that capital S, it's like the word uh, in, in John chapter 1. It's a proper pronoun. So that is the Holy Spirit. That is the person, the third person of the Godhead. So there's a unity of the Spirit in verse 4. And then when you get to verse 13, it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Right, so that's the second mention. So in your Bible, that's the only two times you see the word unity found. It's verse 3 and verse uh, 13. Isn't that something? I thought I'd, I'd learned something today. I didn't know that till today, so I'm kind of excited about it because I just assumed unity was all over the Bible. And, and it is. The precept of it is, but not the word. So this is your only two mentions. Uh, and so there's one more mention of the word unity, uh, by the way. The, does anybody got a, a guess where that's at? It's a really popular verse, but you may not have it on the top of your head. I probably wouldn't have. You got, you got a yes? Okay. Uh, somebody read Psalm 133 in verse 1. I had a PowerPoint. I just put it up there for you, but I did not have opportunity to get that done today, so forgive me. Psalm 133, 1. This is the only other mention in the Bible... Only two mentions in the New Testament we've read, Ephesians chapter 4. Only other mention of the word unity in the Bible, Psalms chapter, oh, 133 verse 1. Amen. Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. So it just so happens that every time the word unity is mentioned, it is dealing with the, the, the bringing together of the body, whether it be unto Christ, whether it be unto faith, or in this case, literally us dwelling together, the brethren dwelling together in unity. So unity is a valued, very valued and highly valued uh, commodity. It's valued in the Godhead. It's valued in the body of Christ. And uh, the value of unity is evident in the world as well. You don't have to be spiritual uh, or be a Christian to know how important unity is. In sports, it's commonly said that there is no I in team, right? So you mean individualism is important, of course, in the world in which we live. But ultimately, your best teams, no matter how good the stars are, uh, they can't function without a team. I just watched a documentary on Michael Jordan, and he was awesome, but he had to have a team around him. If he didn't have the right players, it just didn't work for him. And so there's no I in team because a good team will beat a great individual effort every time, right? If Pat Mahomes doesn't have a good line... Well, he can be the best quarterback in the world, but eventually it's just going to take its toll. You've got to have a team. Uh, and so it's obviously that's the play. You know, sports is the in the department store of life. It's the toy department, you know. Uh, but uh, but the military, a little bit more at stake. They also put a great value on 
on the unit discipline and and from basic training forward when you join the military you lose your individual identity you are just a number and uh, that's it you know and you're part of the team and uh, and it's all about having good unit discipline and it's important to victory in the battlefield and so I want to show, show you a very well-worn and old clip and I've used this clip before so if you've seen it forgive me but tonight I'm going to look at it from a little different perspective uh, in regard to this this subject of unity and I want you to listen to Lieutenant uh, General Hal Moore, who's recently, he passed away a few years ago. But uh, this is a guy who led the first air cavalry into the first major battles uh, of Vietnam in the, uh, it's called the uh, Yadrang Valley. I don't know if you guys know about that, but it's, there was a movie a few years ago in Hollywood called We Were Soldiers that they made about this whole incident. Um, and so... Uh, they have a clip literally on the battlefield where he's actually addressing the press at the end of the conclusion of the battle before he, he got airlifted out. So, Ray, are you able to play that? You hope? We're going to cross our fingers. Watch this. The extremely high regard that I have for the American soldier. He is the best fighting man that I have ever seen. And I would like for you, if you convey anything out of this area where we've been for the last three days and nights, Please convey to the American people what a tremendous fighting man we have here. He's courageous, he's aggressive, and he's kind. And he'll go where you tell him to go. And he's got self-discipline. And he's got good unit discipline. He's just an outstanding man. And having commanded this battalion for 18 months, You must excuse my emotion here, but when I see some of these men go out where they have, I haven't, I can't tell you how highly I feel. They're tremendous. All right. How many of you have seen that before? Just a couple. Okay. So that's not Mel Gibson. That's the real guy. And so the press is right there on the battlefield, which is crazy. But what I really like about that clip is how Hal Moore communicated about the soldiers, or those American soldiers that he had trained. That was the first operations of the Air, Air Cavalry coming in, off, you know, jumping off of the, the uh, um, uh, they had done jumps before, obviously. But that was the first operation where they came in with platoons of men jumped off of, air, uh, off of uh, helicopters uh, to establish the the, uh, uh, the perimeter and get the, the battle going. So it just so happened when they dropped on that that day, they didn't know exactly what they knew that there was you know Viet Cong in there, but they did not know the volume. So there were 1,600, so they were outnumbered 10 to one, and uh, and so it was it was really lopsided. But they 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 actually won in spite of that because of great air support. But uh, otherwise, they would have just been wiped out, just sheer volume over time. But anyway, I, the, the thing that I really like about that, that clip there is the fact that as he talks about it, these soldiers as a group, he says uh, he's, a, the, he's a man, and he just keeps talking about them. He's a, he's a good man, and he's kind, and it's all he, he, he. Well, he's not talking about one guy. He's talking about every one of the men in his unit, and he sees them as one man. You know, and he speaks of them as one man. And when one gets hurt, they all hurt. And, and when, I mean, it's just amazing unity. 
and uh, of course when you go through something like that the unity is even i mean it's even greater once you go through trial and tribulation like that those men are always forever going to be together because they're the only men that understand the trauma that they've gone through and and the difficulty and then the pain of the loss that they endured during that that incursion there in vietnam so there's a lot that could be said about the actual event but what i really wanted to point out is just um how how in that kind of a situation uh and it was an intense attack they maintain unity and they maintain unit discipline and they were so so trained that they're even how more at the end of this trauma is sitting there talking about him as a man and uh i just i couldn't get over that because i thought so much about the way paul is addressing the church at ephesus uh paul is talking to, to them and notice what he says here in verse one he says i therefore the prisoner of the lord beseech you um, and then he changes it, and he says that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, when you read that word you, beseech you, you is us individually or group. We can't ever tell, right? In the, from modern English, you got to kind of however it's, it's found in the sentence. But when you get down to ye, now you're dealing with a, a plural group of people. He's not just talking to one. He's talking about the church at Ephesus, or really all of us today even reading this. And he's saying, I'm telling ye, all of you, that you need to, this is how you need to walk. And so this can't be done by yourself. It's not just an individual effort. This has to be done with the rest of the body. And he's going to break into that. I'm going to lay that out for you in the time we have remaining. And it's, it reminds me of that unit discipline uh, that Hal Moore had in that incursion right there. By the way, the next day they had another battle that was, it was totally opposite. They got destroyed. And you know how they got destroyed? They got, they got divided up. And they lost all their leadership. And they didn't work as a team. They were every man for himself because they got ran over. And it was a terrible, uh, it was a terrible defeat. Uh, so bad that the, the military covered it up and didn't tell the truth about it. And so, uh, so unity is exactly what Satan loves to attack. The whole point of the Viet Cong coming down out of the mountain and, and coming after Hal Moore's group was to destroy them, divide them up. The next day, they weren't able to do that. Without, even though there was a portion that were divided, they were able to hang it together, bring them all back together, and eventually win the battle for that day. The next day, they came in, and they were not prepared for the enemy. The enemy destroyed them because they got all stretched out, and, uh, and they didn't take the enemy seriously. They thought that everything was over, the battle was done, and then they got destroyed. They got, I mean, literally, just a few, a few people survived. It was terrible. It was a terrible slaughter. And uh, it was a lack of good leadership, but it was also, uh, it, was, it really reminds me too of how Satan loves to attack. Whenever possible, he will divide a marriage, he'll split a family or a church, and on a good day, he'll divide a nation to accomplish his purposes. I mean, if he can divide people up to kill them, he'll do it, because he's good at that. And so we see it from the opening pages of Genesis. So if it were possible, Satan would divide the Godhead if he could, uh, but he can't. He couldn't do it. And he can't do it. God is not going to be divided. Satan's days are numbered, and we should all be wise to his desire to do as much damage as possible before he's no longer viable. And so Paul understood the importance of unity. Jesus has won the war, um, you know, of unifying lost men to himself, but we got to be unified as a body. Ye got to be unified. We have to all be unified and walk in the Spirit if we're going to see the. the the outcome that God desires in seeing lost people reconciled to Christ. It's so important. And so, uh, and so this evening, uh, I'm going to just speak to you a little bit about the unity of the body of Christ. So the first point on your outline is um, who. Who should walk worthy of the vocation? Uh, which, by the way, the word vocation means calling. Wherewith ye 
are called. So we read the text there in verse 1. Vocation means calling. Uh, it's the same Greek word used um, in the, in the, in the, uh, throughout the Bible for the word calling. Actually, the only time it's vocation is here. Every other time it's going gonna, it's gonna to be 11 times in the New Testament, the word is, is called calling. As a matter of fact, the next word that he has there, walk worthy of the calling, it says vocation, wherewith ye are called. Same exact Greek word. And so he's saying, you have been called, right? Now, uh, now do it, right? Walk worthy of the calling that you have been called to. That's another way we could say that. And so, uh, and so the, that Greek word is ecclesis, if you're wanting to look it up, but it doesn't really matter. You got it right in the Bible. So God has chosen that word vocation, because when we think of vocation, what do you think of? That's right, you think immediately. I think of the same thing. It's, you're trained to do a job. Usually when you think of vocation, too, it's some, it requires some training. It's a skilled position. And so you have been given, because of all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, because of the dispensation of grace that was given to Paul, that's been given to us, uh, because we understand all of these things and he's prayed for us, now he's saying, now, uh, because you are, no longer, you, you are no longer foreigners, because you are now fellow citizens in the commonwealth of, of God, or uh, has it stated in chapter 2, I think I just butchered that, but you know what I'm saying, fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, household of God. Now that you're in God's household, I need you to act like it. Your identity has to match your walk. Your walk needs to match your identity, right? All of us in here come from a family, and once you have kids, right, you want them, they carry your name. Amy and I run around with these soccer things that we buy, these uh, hoodies and sweat and t-shirts and stuff, and on the back of it, it usually has our name, Hedges, and then it has our kid's number on it, right? Why? Because, well, they, our kids are out there playing. They represent our family, and when we're up in the stands, we represent them. Everyone identifies us in the same household. Uh, and, so, and so, you know, that's the vocation uh, that we have is that we all identify together. Paul, uh, Paul addresses ye and you, as I've already mentioned, that plural pronoun. And, and the King James gang has it exactly right so we can understand. This isn't just dealing with a, de- a devotional application or a personal application uh, or even just the church at Ephesus. It's dealing with all of us. Ye, all of us need to walk worthy. So Paul's speaking to all the Ephesians and all of us who claim to be born again because we're members of the body of Christ. We say that we're in the same family. He's going to conclude our time in chapter uh, 4 and verse 6, uh, and he's going to talk about the Father. That Father's our Father, one Father. We all got the same Daddy. Who's your Daddy? Well, God the Father's your Daddy. And so we're all in the same house, and we need to walk the same way. We need to represent well. So our individual calling is not valid if it's not part of the calling of the body of Christ uh, to glorify God in unity. If that's not what we're about, then we're really not walking in step with what God is wanting to do with his family, with his household. So today, collectivism is very popular, uh, but it is void of the power uh, of Christ, right? Just being in unified or being collected together, the collective is not, it's not anything. As a matter of fact, for the last oh, 120 years or so, roughly, uh, that's been a really popular political theme, the, the, the unity of a group of people, the collective, everybody's sharing. It sounds really utopian, but when you have that collective mentality without Christ, you know what happens? Oh, man, all kinds of problems happen. Uh, there's all kinds of problems because, uh, because unity around anything or anyone other than Christ will eventually lead us to inequity because, honestly, people can't be trusted. Um, and so... We can only trust Christ. That's what governs all of our relationships. 
And so unity around anything or anyone other than Christ will eventually lead to inequity, hopelessness, and brutality because of the fallen nature of man. The endemic nature is the fundamental problem. If it wasn't for our endemic nature, we would get along famously because we would be still be like Christ. And so we have to have our image changed through a relationship with Christ. When we get saved, the lost image of Christ is restored in us. Christ, who is the expressed image of God, takes up residence when we get sealed with the Spirit of God. So we should walk worthy then because now we're in the household of God. We've, we have these promises. We, we, we have access to the throne of God. We can pray. So now let's walk it out. Right. Let's. We we got our radio communications. Uh, we're directly connected to the throne room. We got the promises of God. We got the blessings of God. We got unlimited budget. All we got. We got all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So all we got to do is just get after it. We're like special forces. If you ever, you know what the special forces? By the way, they have like un, they they. I heard. I, was, I saw that uh, those dudes were like special forces. Those dudes have as much budget as the whole Marine Corps. Just a small group of trained forces. That's to me is insane. Uh, amount of money i don't even understand that but but that's crazy but as a christian that's what paul's doing he's giving you a direct connect he's like okay get a hold of who you are in christ because you have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places you can get to the throne room of god you are a part of the household of god now let's walk it out right let's let's walk like that uh and we should walk worthy of that vocation the who is you and, and that's so important. Those of us who name the name of Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray everyone in here tonight has done that. So this applies to you. If for, for some reason you're watching online and, you, and you're like, what are you talking about? I mean, the reality is, is, is we are not naturally born with Christ's image. We're, we are born in the image of Adam, a fallen sinner. And so uh, as we get older, it becomes apparently evident that we choose to sin. It's our, even our nature to sin. And that's what must be changed is our very nature. And that does occur when we come to the place that we recognize and understand that God takes that so serious. He loves the world so much that he sent Jesus to this earth as, our, as, our, as the Bible calls it, propitiation. He, he becomes the replacement for us. And God judged him for our sins so that we could be set free. Uh, and so all you got to do is believe that Jesus Christ literally lived, that he died, that he rose again the third day and is alive right now, and he will save you. He, will, he literally will secure your soul. He will seal your soul. He'll literally come into you. He will, the Bible says, make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And when that happens, old things are passed away, and then you behold, you get a hold of, you look at these, all these things that become new. And Paul's like, okay, so you, you, you now are a new creature. Let's start walking it out. So let's talk about how to walk. That's the next blank there if you're filling out the blank. How to walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith ye are called. Ephesians 4 and verse 2. So with all, it's pretty simple, lowliness and meekness with long-suffering forbearing one another. And here comes the major word, love, because love is the key. Uh, and, so, and so Paul's like, how do you do it? Right? I'm not just telling you to do it. I'm, how do you do it? Well, do what I'm doing. I'm the prisoner. So the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, 1, is now the prisoner. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4. All lowliness of my, and meekness. So we, we walk with lowliness and meekness. That's, that's point one. So like Jesus uh, in Philippians 2.8, where it says, And being found in fashion as a man, which is humbling enough for God of the universe, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Which I, I like to always point that out, because another thing I'd never really thought about is Jesus never had to learn obedience, but it says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So God put himself in a position uh, to, to learn, even though he knows everything. 
So how did he do that? Well, he put himself in a position to face off with our sin and go against his own nature and choose the will of the Father over his own natural instinct, which is to say, no, I do not want to die on a cross, but I'm going to anyway because I'm going to show everybody what it means to love and obey. I'm going to obey the Father in heaven and do it anyway. And so it's an amazing thing. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Paul's like, hey, man, all lowliness and meekness. I mean, that's, that's where we got to start. If we want to really see unity, uh, we got to be... Lo- I, what I saw, by the way, on that, that video I was talking about earlier, not Hal Moore's, but the one up in Liberty Memorial, it was really that. I saw a dude uh, who, who was looking for, thinking there was going to be trouble, but he, was, he humbled himself. And then the other people, everyone humbled themselves, and they treated each other as, as people, not as adversaries. Next thing you know, there was unity. And though it wasn't a godly love necessarily, necessarily the guy did it a certain kind of, of grace I'll, I'll use that and uh, that was a that was a blessing to him um, that kind of spirit doesn't just come naturally that comes because of the influence of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a country uh, where there's been a lot of salt and light over the last several decades and uh, centuries even and so and so like Jesus uh, you know that's obvious all of us can kind of see that Jesus was obviously lowly and meek um, and the example, it, you know, it's like a kid in Sunday school. What's the right answer? Jesus. You know, it's always the right answer. So you're, you're, you're like nine, 99.99% of the time, Jesus, right? He's the answer. Uh, and if you, you don't even have to listen to the question. But there's not just that example. There's also the example of Moses, like Moses. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, um, you can look back there and, uh, and check this verse out. Now I was wondering how this works. Did Moses write this down about himself? So, anyway, maybe it was Ezra but, uh, or someone else along the way. But uh, in Numbers chapter um, 12, Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus, okay. Leviticus, Numbers, there we go. Down here in verse 3. Anybody got that? Because I'm taking forever to get there. Numbers 12, 3. I'm going to read it. Says now that that the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. So when God was looking for a leader, a guy to lead a bunch of people out of bondage. Now Paul's in bondage. Get that. Paul's in bondage, but he's leading the church. And when God's looking for a leader to lead a whole nation out of bondage, he finds a guy named Moses, and he says, "He's the meekest man on the earth. He's very meek." And so. Lowliness and meekness are tied together because they are connected by humility and temperance. So lowliness and meekness are tied together because they're connected by humility and temperance. In the New Testament, five out of eight occurrences of the word lowly, uh, lowliness is translated humble. So when you find that, that word eight times it's going to say humble, not lowly. Um, Moses' Moses's natural force or strength had never diminished. In, in Deuteronomy 34, 7, the Bible says, And Moses was a hundred and 20 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. You know, he's like Bob Bolkin over here, you know, uh, just still getting after it. He was a strong man, um, and uh, even at his advanced age, at 120 years old, you don't want to mess with Moses. Moses was a stout dude. He was keen. He was on his A game. And so he had this natural force that never was diminished. Uh, And so uh, he was a strong man, yet he was a, a meek man. And so God, in one hand, says this man's force was not diminished. He never lost a step. 
And we know he also was a little bit hot-tempered at times in his flesh. But at the same time, it says he was the meekest man. Well, what, well, what's that about? What's the what there? So meekness is not weakness, but rather it's power under control. It's, it's mentioned as, in, as one of the aspects or the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23, right? The fruit of the Spirit has nine attributes there. It's the fruit, plural. It's not the fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's the third person of the Godhead. So one of the attributes of the Spirit of God is meekness, right, and intemperance. Against such there is no law. So ironically, the man God used to give the law <laughs> was a man that you couldn't put the law on because he was meek and temperate. At least that's the way God describes him to some degree. Of course, he was just a human. So Jesus' disposition was that of meekness. He, he had the power to call legions of angels, right, if he wanted to. He could have called legions in and it could have just stopped. I'm not doing this anymore. But he didn't. He chose not to and he chose to suffer on the cross for the sins of the world so he could save us instead of what's he going to do destroy us if he doesn't save us he destroys us so god is also jesus obviously is an example of meekness it's power under control he uses his power to save not to destroy so in titus 3 2 one of the more practical ways to see this is over there in titus 3 and verse 2 it says to, uh, to speak evil of no man to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. So, if you reverse engineer Titus 3.2, real practically speaking, what is, what is meekness? Well, it's the opposite of speaking evil of men. So, if you like to shoot off the lip about people, that's not very meek. Uh, and if you, like, and if you uh, like to brawl with people, you like to throw down, you know, you talking to me, you talking to me, right? You want to you wanna go down and fight? All the time you want to get into Dukesville with folks. Well, guess what? That's not very meek as well. Um, and gentle. Well, that's not considered to be very manly, is it? But you know what? It is. It's kind of everything that the world is the opposite of. I mean, it's amazing. A man who speaks evil of others, who brawls and fights, it's, they're not meek. They're actually weak. So you see a guy who's, who's, who's always wanting to pick a fight, always wanting to cause trouble. What you really have is not meekness. You have weakness. It's just somebody who's out of, who who really is probably very inside, very insecure, and they're not they're not secure in Christ. And by the way, that doesn't mean that, that Moses couldn't throw down, you know, uh, if needed, uh, or Jesus. Jesus is going to come back, and you know, really, he could destroy the world without even thinking. I mean, he just has to speak the word; it's gone. He's under complete control of his emotion, so to speak. Though God does show emotion. And so the term we commonly use uh, to this day for a man uh, of restraint and, and dignity, even today, is we call them a gentleman. But he's a gentleman. She, not she, gentlewoman. I don't even know if we use that word, but definitely a gentleman. So today we even use that term gentle. Um, and because, you know what, that's long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, all those things go together. So we should walk with uh, not only meekness, and lowliness, but with long-suffering. And uh, long-suffering is the next blank there. Uh, another attribute of the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering is associated also with the love of God. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, for charity suffereth long, right? So that's really the same thing. It's long-suffering, kind. It, it, uh, charity envieth not, vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up. Colossians 3.12 says, put... Uh, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, 
of mind. There's that humility. Meekness is, is mentioned there. And then Paul throws in long-suffering. So he groups them in there again in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. So long-suffering and doctrine are attributes required in, in the job description of a pastor, especially in the last days. Take a look over to 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy. Check out 2 Timothy. So we got a Bible institute right now. And uh, Ray, are you back there? Or did he, he's Okay, so listen up. Because if you're in the institute, you need to listen to this. Everybody that's in the institute. Because uh, if, every, if a man is training or a woman's training for leadership, uh, there's some express instructions in, in 2 Tim, Timothy chapter 4, uh, the last swan song here, the Apostle Paul. And he says this, and uh, after he tells, tells them to, you know, um, judge the, the, you know, he tells, he says, I charge thee therefore before God in verse 1. Um, he's, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Okay, he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine. So in our HBI, we're, we're going to teach how to preach. But what we really, really what we need more than people to learning how to put a sermon together and preach is people who, who can exhort. That, you know, the word exhort is like encourage, it's inspires to move people with all long-suffering, long-suffering. The same thing that he's mentioning here in Ephesians chapter 4. And why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, and doctrine. He, he couples long-suffering and doctrine. He puts them together there in, in uh, 2 Timothy 4. He's like, Timothy, you need, you need to do this. You need to, you need to preach the word. Uh, all, be ready at all times. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Right? That's what you're going to do. But do all of that with long-suffering and doctrine and teaching. So, so be long-suffering and be teaching. And then he goes on to say, For the time will come when they will not endure sound, solid doctrine. Solid teaching is no longer, you know, people aren't going to be lined up at the door to hear the Bible. Let's just face it, Timothy. Just, just know that. But after this is what's going to happen. After their own lusts, notice plural, lusts, various things, shall they heap to themselves teachers... All they got to do is dial it up, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But that's not you, Timothy. That's not you, HBI student. Right? But watch thou, right? Like a soldier. Get on your watch. Be ready to go. Be vigilant. Be sober. Be of good behavior, right? But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Get in the battle and, and make sure and own it. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Don't expect people to like it. Just do what I tell you to do. The body of Christ does not need storytellers. They don't want storytellers. Or they want storytellers, but what they need is preachers. I said that backwards. The body of Christ doesn't need storytellers, but they often want storytellers. But what they really need is preachers who will preach the word of God. Sound doctrine solid teaching from the word of god uh that's what the church needs that's what the body of christ needs but their, their ears are itching so we already know what revelation 3 says at the at the end of the laodicean church age jesus will be knocking the door he is the door of the sheepfold this book is the door it's gonna it can be preached and people won't even hear it people in the church won't even hear it because why well they have itching ears and they've, they've collected the wrong message and so Paul's like, hey, preacher, Timothy, 
you need to be long-suffering. You need to be long. You need to be patient. You need to endure it. You cannot. You can't quit. And you can't be judgmental. And you can't just check out. You got to be patient, and, uh, and and finish the course. All right. So, if you want to be a preacher, be prepared for a ministry like the Old Testament prophets. Uh, powerful preaching and painful rejection. And that's pretty much what you get. You can go down the line. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Just go down the line of the prophets in the Old Testament. That's pretty much what you're going to get. Now, no, no, I'm saying obviously that's not everybody. Uh, praise God, but you don't. But, but in essence, that's that's the mindset that Paul's training Timothy to go into ministry with. Seems kind of depressing, but it's not uh, because we're walking worthy of our vocation, and, and that means forbearing one another in love. Paul will mention uh, to to ma- to the masters later on in Ephesians six uh, six and, and verse nine. He says, "Hey, masters." You need to forbear, lay off, man. Lay off the threatening. Why? Well, let's go look real quick. Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 9, he says, Hey, you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening. And basically what he's saying, do what things? Do Act like a servant, master. Do the same things that they, be obedient to them that are your masters. Ma- uh, master, so that means follow what I'm doing. And he says, uh, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in he- uh, your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. He's like, hey, if I put you in a position over other people, you better be understanding that you better lay off, pal, because if I if you need to be gracious with them, and I'll be gracious with you. If you want to be tyrannical with the people that you're over, guess what? Uh, that isn't going to work out very good for you because you're under me. So that lowliness, that humility. It works out. If you're an employer, you own a business, man, treat your employees with some grace and courtesy. That doesn't mean they have to run over you. You can set up parameters. You can fire people. The labor is worthy as a reward. You know, don't, let, don't give someone a raise. If they don't work, they don't eat. Now, all those principles are set. But you don't even have to be a jerk about it. You can just say, sorry, that's your last check. See you later. God bless you. <laughs> right? You, don't, you can forbear threatening. As a matter of fact, that's much more gracious than, I'm going to fire you. You know, just say, hey, you know what? I care about you. I want you to have a good life. But uh, if you're not going to do what we need around here, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. And that's no threat. That's a promise, <laughs> right? So, so you just got to let them go. But uh, there's a way. What we're talking about is not the what, it's the way. It's the way we handle ourselves. There's an expectation that we walk worthy of the calling. For what, There's a way that God needs us to walk because we represent the household of God. Okay? And so in Romans chapter uh, f- 15... Uh, the, apostle, the Apostle Paul said, we then that are strong, remember what Moses was, he was super strong physically, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Right? So there's an attitude there where we're like, you know what, we're going to put others ahead of ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So what, what the Apostle Paul is saying there is, you know what we do is we, we really walk toward people. We walk toward the lost in wisdom, right? We walk uh, in wisdom for those that are without. But within the body of Christ, we should, we should treat others better than ourselves. We should put ourselves last. I remember many years ago, George Grace did a great message on how to have joy as a Christian. And I'll never forget this. And he just simply prioritized it. Jesus, the J, others, and then put yourself last. And you'll have joy. Very simple message. You remember that, Amy? Up at Old McDonald's Farm? Great. It was just a simple sermon. 
man, it, it changed my life forever. I'll never forget that. Jesus, others, and yourself. If you can remember to do that, you're going to be cooking with gas. You're going to be walking out that vocation that God wants. You're, you're going to fulfill the call that God has for you. And it's going to be toward others. And you know what? What God expects of others is to have the same attitude toward you. And if we keep putting one each other ahead of the other, guess what? You start to edify. You start to build one another in love. The love of God starts to really start percolating. And, man, things get going. And it's a growth environment where God gets the glory and the lights come on. So we should have a supernatural capacity to forbear others in love because God has changed our heart when we're saved. So when you get saved, you get a new heart, right? The old stony heart's gone, and God gives us a new heart. And so Colossians, Paul says, that, and that's in the, and that, the Colossians, by the way, is written to the Laodicean church. So it's right in the wheelhouse of the time in which we live. In chapter 1, he says, set your affections on things above, not on the things of this earth. In chapter 13, he says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, well, you should hold a grudge and you should tell everyone about it. No, that's not actually what it says. It says, if anyone has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, and above all things, put on charity, which is the bond, the bond of perfectness. See, Paul was bound for Christ's sake. He loved God and he loved people and he found himself in prison. And he's saying, hey guys, let's come together and be bound together in love. Let's put each other ahead of ourselves. If you got a quarrel against any, not just saved people or not just lost people, anybody, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Can you not forgive them? So let me give you some practical advice. I think, I, did I leave that chart on your, on your, on your paper? Good, okay. And that, that makes you feel good because you can see I'm getting close to the end. All right, so, so how are we doing with these, uh, with these three categories? So on the left side of that chart is how we, how we should walk, right? Lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That's pretty much what we've been talking about. But on the right side, how we shouldn't walk. How we shouldn't walk. We shouldn't walk with pride and arrogance. That's the antithesis of lowliness and meekness. So if we're walking around in pride and arrogance and self-will, it's just like the, you know, the, watching the political discourse. It's just like, oh my goodness. And I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm glad I'm, as a pastor, I, I'm like, I'm voting for Jesus. I'm not going to get into the left and right paradigm. Because when you look at it, what you see is pride, arrogance, and self-will. Period. It doesn't, I'm not, it doesn't mean I won't vote for a certain thing that has a certain agenda and that's going to fit my values better than the other side. Okay. But at the end of the day, man, am I going to get my emotions wrapped up in all that? Are you kidding me? I can see pretty clearly that's not going to bring unity. The unity that I'm looking for is unity in the spirit. It's, it's the love of Christ in the hearts of people. Uh, by the way, red people and blue people, I don't care. Uh, black lives matter uh, all lives matter yeah i, I love them all because jesus died for all it doesn't really i mean G, the gospel supersedes all of that because in christ we're new creatures and we should identify ourselves with christ so definitely we shouldn't be full of pride arrogance and self-will uh, long-suffering the opposite of that is being impatient short-tempered right i mean that's a practical thing when we're not long-suffering what's that really mean we're impatient I sometimes get impatient. Short-tempered. Amy would know better if I'm short-tempered and impatient. And I'm sh sharp-tongued. There's been times when Amy's like, Brian, uh, 
is something wrong or are you right with the Lord? I don't know. She said something like that. And I'm like, why? She says, because the way I'm talking, it's not, I get sharp tongue. I get, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you guys do or not, but that can kind of, that's fruit of the spirit, long suffering. It's not, it's not about the way you're talking. I don't curse, but I can still be sharp. I can still hurt somebody without cursing at them, you know? And so, so the reality is what the problem is, is it's really not even what you're doing. It's what you're not doing. What you're not doing is walking in the spirit. Because when you're walking in the spirit, the attribute of the fruit, one of the attributes of the fruit of the spirit is long suffering. You're gentle. You're not going to be impatient. You're not going to be short tempered. You're not going to be sharp tongued. And there's probably some other analogies that we could use. Another one is forbearing uh, one another. That says on another. That's totally not right. That's a typo. One another, uh, forbearing one another in love. So the opposite, of course, is putting your needs ahead of other everybody else, being selfish. Or you could even call that covetous, right? I got to have mine. Now, again, in our nat- as our natural man, that's who we are. But once we get saved, God gives us a supernatural capacity to say, you know what? I don't even care about mine. I'm just going to let God give it away because I trust God to refill the cup. And that's a place of faith. And faith has a lot to do with this. In Acts 20, I just used this passage Sunday, in Acts 20, verse 35, it's Jesus, Paul quotes Jesus saying, it's Jesus who said, blessed, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And so, boy, that's a, that's a principle of life. If we can really get to the point where we love to give, uh, man, it just, it frees you up. And by the way, you cannot, you know, it sounds trite. You can't outgive God. I, it's really true. I mean, if you ever try it, you're going to find out. It's, it's like, wow, I really can't outgive God. That's crazy. So, all right, let's go on to point C. Make an effort. Make an effort. Look down here in verse 3 in Ephesians. You got to do something. Endeavoring, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's that first unity that we've seen. So, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the word endeavoring means to actively engage. The word translated is also translated diligent four times in the New Testament. Twice it's translated do. Uh, once it's translated labor. And another time it's translated study. And these are, these are action words. These are things that you're, you're doing. You're studying, you're laboring, you're endeavoring, you're getting after it, you're doing something. And so uh, God needs us to be actively engaged in submitting to the Spirit. That's what he's saying. Endeavoring. Work with the Spirit. Do this. Keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Oh, no. The Spirit's going to break up and go out of control. Is that going to happen? No. The Holy Ghost is fine. He's not ever going to break up and and lose control of himself. So when he's saying endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, what do we need to endeavor to do? Keep control of, allow him to control us. Work with the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit so he has complete control of us. And work on allowing him to work through us to continue to bring unity in the body. Because if we don't do that, man, we're going to have trouble. And the devil's going to win the battle. So endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace means one is actively engaging and submitting to the Spirit's leading. So how intentional are we about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? So this, again, is very practical stuff. Because we can be very intentional about that. And let me give you some practical steps. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know you can take notes on this or write them down or not. But here's some, some practical steps I didn't put in your notes. And you can ask yourself this question. Because if you're not doing this, I can tell you right now, whether you're sitting in here or you're online, if you're not doing this, you're not endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Um, if, if you will not forgive others as you've been forgiven, 
So if you're sitting here right now and you're like, Brian, I will not forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. Hey, listen, I'm super, if I know some bad things go on. I am not saying the cops shouldn't be called. I'm not saying they shouldn't deal with the consequences of sin. So understand me. But you got to forgive them. I mean, they can go to prison. They can go to the death chamber. That's okay. But you still got to forgive them. I was just watching, I, Amy and I watched a documentary. I don't think I showed it on. Did I show that documentary that of the Vietnamese guy in here a couple weeks ago? I did? Okay. What an incredible thing. I mean, those guys, this guy is the head honcho of, of uh, the killing fields. I mean, he's killing people literally by the thousands, including the, the family of the minister who was ministering to him. Well, you, you can't serve that guy the Lord's Supper in prison unless you forgive him. And somehow, by God's grace, it's all covered under the blood. It's miraculous. Okay, so do we forgive others as we have been forgiven? That doesn't mean we always forget. It doesn't mean, you know, we got to have them over for dinner, <laughs> right, if they're toxic uh, or they're a danger. But we do need to forgive. Okay, are we serious about ordaining? I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, not ordaining. Are we serious about the ordinances of the, of the Lord's Supper? Say, man, I am so about the unity of the Spirit. But when the Lord's Supper rolls around, you're not anywhere to be found. Or you sit back and you're like, well, I can't take the Lord's Supper because really in my heart I don't forgive Sister Susie because she didn't like my potluck dinner. You know, whatever. <laughs> you know what, man, that is not cool. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. Because you kind of put it in context and say, yeah, let me think. Jesus sat around the table. Every one of those dudes but John was going to betray him uh, and run off and leave him. And then Judas, you know, well, Judas turned him over to the Jews and was going to kill him. And Jesus sat around and had dinner with him and blessed him and, uh, and went and prayed in the garden and asked him to come join him. Okay, if Jesus can do that, if Jesus can roll like that, then I guess I can too. Uh, and so that's what the Lord said, because, you know, Jesus forgave well, he forgave me, and he forgave you, and he forgave us all. So if Jesus has forgiven us, then why can't we forgive one another? And I can remember, I remember one time I did a study. I was, I was discipling a guy. I'm going to tell the story here, and I shouldn't because I don't have time. But um, I was a young Christian, and I was dealing with unforgiveness. I was dealing with sin that wasn't even mine, that somebody else had committed, that was making me angry every time I thought about it, and making me angry, like murderously angry. And um, so I went to a Bible study I didn't want to go to because I was supposed to be discipling. I'm the discipler, not the disciple at this point. And I'm still probably about 19 years old. I wasn't very old, 19. I wasn't even 20 yet. And I'm discipling this guy. He was a little older than me. He goes to this college Bible study. I'm like, whatever, dude. We're supposed to be discipling, but we can go to this Bible study. Pastor Fred Allen's there. And these, these, these kids uh, at the time, they're all old people now, Randy Adams and his brother and all these dudes. They're all sitting around there in, in this basement in Raytown. And, and they start telling me this story. And I'm looking at them, they're a bunch of Christian kids, you know, I'm like, whatever. And then uh, they start telling this story. Their friend, who lived over by uh, KCBT back in the day in Raytown, uh, someone broke in the apartment, murdered her. This was a big story. Put, took her blood, wrote stuff all over the wall, very satanic and brutal. Murder. And she was, I guess, a beautiful, gorgeous young lady. And, uh, and so they're talking about how do we handle that? And all of a sudden, I'm just like, talk about lowliness and humility. I'm just like, whoa, whoa. I thought, I thought I had something on my heart. These young people have something to deal with here. Because one of them, 
Rick Adams, not Randy, Rick Adams. I remember Rick was the primary guy. Rick was, Rick, uh, I was just talking to Rick about this. I did a men's conference a few months ago, and Rick was telling me about it. We were going back in time. I was telling him about that day. He didn't even know I was there. He didn't even remember the Bible study. I said, oh, yeah, man, it changed my life. Because Rick Adams was, you know, he was, he was upset. He was like, you know, and it wasn't that long. The time hadn't gone by. It wasn't that long ago that this whole incident had happened. And uh, Fred Allen busts open the Bible and just teaches a simple lesson on the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians. Fruit of the Spirit. You need God's Spirit. And that's part of the, and he just teaches on forgiveness, you know, and I don't remember all the words, but I remember the Holy Ghost just, I mean, literally going in my heart and just, and repairing me. And man, when it, I was just praying to God as sincere as I could, and I just gave it all away. Like, God, take this from my heart. The reason I'm bitter, well, you know why I was bitter? Anybody know? Well, that's just, no, that was just because I probably had good reason to be irritated. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. God used that, no doubt. It wasn't because of the discipleship lessons. That had nothing to do with it. I, the dude should have, we should have probably been there for discipleship, but God had plans for me that night. All right, so, no, no, that, the reason I was, you know what God showed me that night? The reason I was bitter, and of course, you shouldn't compare yourselves with yourselves. That's unwise. But God allowed me to see some hurt of some Christian kids who I thought were kind of spoiled brats anyway. No offense, Rick Adams. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you're watching tonight. But uh, I'm like, really? You know, and then, then they start. So first of all, I had to be humble. But also I had to realize, you know what? I'm bitter. Because, this is why I'm bitter. Because I want to be. That's what it boils down to. The reason I'm bitter is because I want to be. I'm not willing to let go. I mean, what else could Jesus do? I mean, I, intellectually, I kind of knew that, but I needed to sit down under the Spirit of God with, with the man of God opening the Word of God. And Fred Allen don't even remember this night, I don't think. I don't, any, none of the people that were there don't remember it. I mean, it's like if in a court of law, I'd probably be like, this never happened. <laughs> but I promise it happened. I'm not telling stories. And, and so the Spirit of God just worked in my heart, and he said, Brian, the only problem here is you, because I'm enough. My spirit's enough. My blood's enough. My grace is enough. Uh, everyone else is forgiven. Why haven't you forgiven? And the people that you would like to see die, well, guess what? I want them saved. And, and since you're saved, what, what's your problem, pal? I mean, God just really had to work me over. So... Murderous thoughts, you sit around with murderous thoughts all the time. Well, guess what? There's something wrong in your heart, and you need to deal with it. You need to give it over to the Lord. That's bitterness. It's a root of bitterness. And if you don't address it, it will spring up and defile many. So, okay, moving on. I kind of camped on that. Another practical thing, just real practical. This is low-level stuff. Um, if you're a person that says, you know what? I'm not going to apply Matthew 18 when faced with conflict. Right? So there's a conflict and you will refuse if you say, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to that person. Now, if you just, for, just forget it, for oh, whatever, it's gone. Okay, well, then no, you don't have to go you know, drag up garbage and open up the trash can when it's already put under the blood. But if you're, just, if, you're, if you're stewing on something and it's bothering you and troubling you, someone's offended you, and you will never go and reconcile with them, but you'll go talk about them to everybody else and how they've hurt you and damaged you, mm-mm. 
uh, you're not making it, you're not endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Now, uh, Matthew 18, by the way, if you don't know, the, the process of, recon- of of handling those types of issues is if you're offended, you go to the person and try to make it right with a spirit, by the way, of reconciliation, not one of accusation. That, excuse me, you know, when you said this to me or you did this to me, it really hurt my feelings, and uh, or I'm offended that you, you know, uh, you pulled out and, and uh, you keyed my car, <laughs> and so uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, so whatever, I got a problem, uh, and I need to get this settled. And of course, if they won't hear you, and this is dealing outside the church, you can't expect lost people to act safe, so this doesn't apply outside of the church. But sometimes the people in the world are wiser than the people in the church. I've seen it happen. I've seen it. So-and-so did not smile. So-and-so didn't say hi to me. So-and-so didn't invite me to dinner, but they invited someone else to dinner. Someone else chose this person, but they didn't chose, oh my gosh, yeah. It's like we're back in junior high again. So that kind of stuff happens in the body of Christ. And instead of getting growing up and getting over it and saying, you know what, Jesus is enough, man. <laughs> or just saying, oh man, I, I really need to go talk to that person. And usually you find out it was a miscommunication, it was an oversight, or maybe there's exceptionally phony in vain and you really don't need to be around him anyway and God's protecting you. Whatever the case, you figure it all out and you're like, oh, praise God. Next. If you won't apply Matthew 18, then you know what? You're really not endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. It just is the way it is. Okay, and then are, are we charitable and gracious to our enemies? That's even harder. Are we charitable and gracious with our brothers and sisters? I mean, that's, that's where the rubber really meets the road. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And you've got to love your family. And the body of Christ is your family. I've had people, I've literally had people in, in this church, I won't say who, tell me, I don't like so, I can't stand so-and-so. I'm like, well, what do you mean you can't stand so-and-so? You're going to spend eternity with so-and-so. Okay, you may not like something about so-and-so, but you better get, you better get over it. Because so-and-so is highly valued in the kingdom of God. And then in that same context, someone else says, you know what? I can't stand so-and-so because they don't like so-and-so. And I'm just like, my head's exploding. <laughs> you know what we have here? We have carnality, and we have immaturity, and we have baby Christians who need to grow up and learn who they are in Christ and get their identity in Christ fixed so, they can, so that they can endeavor to walk out what God's put in them because that is so, so petty. So keep the bond of peace and don't break it. You know what officers of the law used to be called? Peace officers, that's right, peace officers. And uh, you know why? Because they kept, and even to this day, are trying to keep the peace. Part of our calling in the body of Christ is to be officers of peace in the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. He's like, endeavor to keep the unity, right? Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit. The spirit's not going to be severed. We've all got the same spirit, but what can be severed is our relationships. Endeavor to keep the unity uh, as much as I have in you, right? Live, live peaceably with all men. And, and in the body of Christ, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. So that's for Christians in the bond of peace. So what that means is you're deputized tonight. So you can go forth and uh, 
keep the peace. You're a peace officer. If you're listening online, you're in the body of Christ, you can keep the peace. Before I was sent to HBF down here, Amy can remember this too, we would, we, our, our Sunday night deal after church back in the day, we'd always go to, to uh, uh, what was that? Zio's. We love Zio's. They had these little salads with artichokes on top. They were outstanding. I love those things. So that was, my, that was our Sunday night deal. So we'd go to Zio's. And I remember one day, and I, as the more, the more I got closer to planting a church and being a church planner, the more sympathetic I, I to be honest, I'm no better than the people I had dinner with for sure, but uh, the more sympathetic I would get to the pastor. And the more this stuff that we're talking about really starts setting in on me. And so we're at dinner one night, and the people start having the, the uh, pastor for dinner. And I don't remember what they were complaining about specifically, but it was probably petty. And uh, I'm certain, whatever it was, uh, it wasn't that important. But so I, I got tired of it. And there was like probably six, eight, ten people at this. It was a long table. And I just finally piped up and I said, hey, have you talked to Pastor Adams about this? <laughs> I mean, you could have heard a ping, pin drop. <laughs> and nobody wanted to talk anymore. I messed up the dinner. And uh, I, rem- I always remember that because I thought, you know, we probably, if, 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 that's, if it's that big of a deal, just go talk to, you don't need to come to dinner. And it wasn't that big a deal. Just go talk to, to Jeff about it. Because it's, Certainly, let's not sit out here in public and diss on our own pastor. So, anyway, I'll never forget that. And uh, and so, you know, there there are enemies in the camp who desire to sow discord among the brethren. They want to divide and conquer, complain and blame. And Satan wants to divide and conquer, but he really can't. He cannot do that unless we let him. And he's not going to divide up the Godhead. And he's not going to divide up the Spirit. So guess what's left? He's going to chop up the body if he can if we let him. And so we can't let him do that. We are all deputized to go forth and be peace officers, to keep the peace. That's how it works. All right, so um, so Brian, you say, I want to be united in Christ, but my brother or sister just doesn't want to. I mean, really, you don't appreciate how messed up they are. Well, listen, love them anyway. Charity never fails, and the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So don't slander, even when you're slandered. Uh, forget the offense as best you can, and pray for the offender, and focus on the author and the finisher of your faith. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. You know what that means? That means there are people who have been so faithful to death (laughs) that they have died as martyrs. And they're in heaven, and they're watching what's happening. They've been a witness. And when you're reading about witnesses in the book of Acts, in the book in the gospels you're talking about people who like are like John the Baptist witnesses guys that got their head on a platter you're talking about people like Stephen who got stoned by the Sanhedrin you're talking about people who were faithful unto death and they're in heaven cheering us on okay so so put it in perspective man <laughs> take a, take one for the team and keep going forward in faith in charity uh, and 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 he goes on to say let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, patience, like Job, the race that is set before us. Endure it for more. Maybe it's 10 years left. Maybe it's 20 years left. Maybe it's 30 years left. Eventually, you're going to cross the finish line, and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. If it can't be rectified on this side of glory, it will be rectified on the other side. So don't quit racing. Lay aside the weight and the sin that easily besets you. You leave it with the Lord. You can't always fix everybody else's issues, but you can fix your heart, and you can fix your focus, and you can run your race and finish your course. Looking unto Jesus, 
right? Focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Your day of rest is coming. You're going to get to sit down. And literally, in, Coloss- in uh, Revelation 3, the promise is if, you, if you're faithful, guess what? You're going to sit in, you're going to sit down with him in the throne. You'll be sitting on daddy's lap. It's going to be awesome. So last point, and i got to be done. The source of our union in the body of Christ. This is a lot. This is a, a mega me- passage. I could just preach on it for days, but I'm not going to. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So Paul ends up saying, hey, listen, here's the source of our unity. The next, the next part is he's going to deal with the diversity in verses 7 through 13. So he, he focuses on how unified we are, and then he focuses on how God diversifies the body so that we can, so we can grow. But you'll have to come back for that. In this part, though, we're not divided because the Spirit's not divided. Uh, Jesus rebuked the, the, the Pharisees when they, uh, they, he told them that they were accusing him of casting out devils uh, by the power of the devil. He's like, what are you talking about? Is a house divided against itself cannot stand. What are you talking about? I mean, either, either I'm God or I'm not, and either I'm casting out devils or I'm a devil. It, it doesn't, you know, that's the only way it's going to work. And if, by the way, if I'm God and you're against me, then you're against God. You're either with me or against me. I mean, he just really cut through the, cut through the chase in Matthew 12. I'll give you the reference here. You can read it later. He said, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You're either working to bring in the kingdom or you're working against the kingdom. That's really what, that's what Jesus was saying. You're either bringing them in or you're doing things to distribute it. And I don't mean in a good way. Obviously, we send people out in the best possible way, but uh, we gather to scatter. But we don't gather to disrupt what God's kingdom is. All right, so um, what is not made right today will be made right when Christ returns. Jesus is our blessed hope. The reality of our redemption requires that we work together for all of eternity. Paul is letting the saints in Ephesus know that the time to start working together was right then. Boom, it started today. You're deputized. In eternity, all doctrinal disputes will be settled. So you know what? If you can't settle a doctrinal dispute today, uh, we have different denominations for a reason, <laughs> so I'm not going to go around and police all the other churches. I've got enough to deal with my own church. I'm just going to run my race, and God will sort it all out later. And notice that the Godhead is revealed. Now, in that, little, in that passage that we have here in verses, uh, uh, verse, uh, um, this is really powerful, 5 through 7. There's one, notice the word one is so obvious. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. All right, so uh, you see the Godhead. The one spirit is pointed out uh, in verse um, uh, one body and one spirit in verse four, uh, as you're called in one, in one hope of your calling. So the spirit is what unites the body. We see that in Romans 12 and Romans 12, 13, which says, uh, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. This is the baptism mentioned in the very verse uh, that we're talking about in verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. What's that one baptism? I mean, is that when we get up here in the tank and baptize on Sunday? Is that the one baptism? What do you think? No, it's not. Right answer. The one baptism is when you get saved. The Spirit of God comes in you. He is in you and you are in Him. That's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So that's the one baptism. The baptism we do up here is called believer's baptism. So believer's baptism isn't, doesn't 
save anybody. It's actually just a picture or showing what has already happened when someone asks Christ into their heart. That's the one baptism that we're talking about both here and in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It's the one one true baptism. For, so that's the one bapti- baptism that we're all baptized into. If you don't have that baptism, then no other baptism matters. Water doesn't matter. Water baptism doesn't save anybody. Never has, never will. But the Spirit of God in us is what seals our soul till the day of redemption. And to get that, that's just a gift you receive by faith when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And then he says one Lord, right? One faith, one baptism. And verse 11 of Philippians 2 uh, Jesus himself says, and well, God said through Paul, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now, Jesus is Lord. So you have the Spirit, you have the Lord Jesus, and then you have the Father of all, who is also in all, and he wants to work through all, right? The Father of all, who is above all, he is the ultimate authority, he's through all, and literally he is in us all through the Spirit of God. So walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And God has revealed the power of Christ uh, to us, right? So we understand tonight what we've learned is that uh, there's unity, obviously, in Christ. And you've all been deputized to go forth and bring unity, right? And we can do that by walking out the calling by which we have been called through Christ. All right, we're done. I'm a little over. Any questions? For those of you that join us online, we're thankful for you. If you have any questions, you can call us, 380-3033. Email us, contact at hbfcast.org. Text us at a text line in which I don't have the number to right now off the top of my head. And uh, we love you. Thank you for joining us. Guys, thanks for coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We ask a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. Thank you for those that are uh, in D2 and in the children's ministry tonight and the high school class. We uh, thank you and praise you for getting us through this evening uh, and bringing the technology together. We praise you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night.